Before we get started, please note that the following interview includes content related to the loss of a child that may be distressing to some listeners. Hello, I'm Rick Millenthal from The Shipyard, and welcome to Voices of Resilience. In this series, we have top thought leaders who share their personal stories that have fueled their passion to help others navigate stress, trauma, and adversity, especially in these challenging times. I'm happy to have here today, Holly Kasten from the STAR program at the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Health at The Ohio State University. Holly, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. I'm really honored to be here with you. Holly, you are a great community leader. You're a leader in mental health. And you have started an organization within Ohio State called STAR. Can you tell us a little about that? STAR stands for Stress, Trauma, Adversity, and Resilience. And we believe that the first three, stress, trauma, and adversity, were things that were uh, very common and really part of life experiences of all of us. But that the last one, resilience, was something that not everybody was able to achieve when they went through the various struggles. So we saw this as a continuum, and we see our mission uh, to this day as a challenge to help people become more resilient, to help build more resilient individuals, families, communities, and world. Holly, we've known each other a long time, my wife Karen and I, and you and Brad. How long have we known each other? I don't know. Do we have to count these years? <laughs> That's right. We're on audio. Now I've got to time us. But <laughs> very long time. A very long time. Very long time. We've shared a lot of celebrations and uh, a few tragedies and sorrows. And we've kind of grown up with each other as adults. Our children have grown up together. We've been neighbors. And so I know that you came to this starting star and your passion for mental health through an important personal story. Yes, I was living, I guess what you would call a fairly comfortable life. I was 35 years old. I had a four-year-old, a two-and-a-half-year-old, and a four-month-old baby. And I was struggling with being an overwhelmed mom. And uh, my husband convinced me at that time to just take two days away to get a little break for ourselves. And we have some family in Cincinnati, and he really encouraged me to take a little break and catch up on our rest. So we traveled to Cincinnati. It was October of 1991 and got the phone call that all parents dread, which was that the baby had been taken to the emergency room and that she had stopped breathing. And so we, uh, of course, uh, raced home and uh, to find the tragic news that my daughter had died. The diagnosis was sudden infant death syndrome, SIDS, which uh, is a pretty difficult thing to get your head around. I think that the fact that I really had not encountered any kind of significant traumatic events before that time was actually, in hindsight, quite remarkable. 
but that certainly threw me and my family into a very difficult and dark time. And uh, as you can hear from my voice to this day, I don't think everything that I've learned about trauma is that it never goes away. It's really always a part of you. But I began my sort of journey into the world of mental health and into the awareness of the importance of mental health, like most people do, which is the hard way, through this terrible experience where I tried to pull myself out of the deep. And um, that was the beginning of my journey. We lived it with you. Karen was at the hospital and we've witnessed it with you. It's not only, of course, a story of uh, sorrow and grief and tragedy. It, it's a story of resilience, too. I think that's a big reason that resilience word is in the organization you help find. Yes. So each trauma is unique and everyone has their moment where um, sort of the water split. And for me, it was not a straight line. I don't think it is for anyone. There were many false starts and stops. And I think that the relationship, the unique aspects of my loss and the loss of a child is really a unique type of hell, really. And the mother and infant relationship is so powerful that it really feels like you're witnessing your own destruction, if you can imagine. So it's pretty far down there in terms of how far you have to go to kind of climb out of that hole. But a very important factor was my friends and family and friends like you and Karen and a very strong family and a lot of support. But still, the work has to happen within yourself. And so my struggle involved a collection of symptoms, which I later learned were post-traumatic stress symptoms. But at the time, I was just genuinely feeling very much alone and very confused. So hypervigilance and re-experiencing and nightmares and just trying to make sense of something that we can't really make sense of. So taking that journey, I was able to find some help. And uh, I actually got the most benefit from the help of a physician who was actually a pediatrician in Boston. But I had met him because he was head of the SIDS Foundation. And he was kind enough to counsel me from Boston doing teletherapy before it was in vogue. And he was very kind and patient and sort of helped me try to make sense again of what happened and why it happened and how it happened. And the fact that I was never going to really get answers for what happened, but I had to learn to live with it and to create a narrative that I could process. And really, he helped me the most. I've shared with you, Rick, that the aha moment for me in terms of my recovery happened when I asked him, how will I know if I will be able to recover? How will I know if I'm making any progress at all? And his answer to me was, you'll know you're making progress when you're able to help someone else. So that really sent me on a journey to better understand 
the whole inner workings and what happens when people are traumatized and when they go through a crisis. What are the traits of people who are able to come through those experiences? And how do I learn those traits? Can you teach those traits? Can you learn those traits? I just knew I wanted to find those traits. And I ended up back in graduate school at Ohio State and getting a master's in social work. And my two placements there, I worked for a year at our front door crisis response agency called NetCare in our community. And then I ended up my second year at Ohio State at the Harding Hospital, which is actually where I work today. You said you know you're making progress when you can help someone else. And now you've been on this journey for so many years. Have you found that to be true? That you have been able to progress and navigate this trauma and this grief partially because you have been able to help others? I think it's so true and certainly has become my motto. One thing is true about trauma is that you can't get around it. The only way to heal is to go through it. And as human beings, we suffer in relationships, but we also heal in relationships. And there's something truly magical that happens between two people when they are willing to share their vulnerabilities and their pain. And that's the way out. That's how we heal. I think a lot of suffering and pain comes from trying to control things that we can't control. And life's painful enough from the things that happen as they are. So there's always two traumas. There's the trauma that happens. And then there's the story that we tell ourselves about what happened. The trauma that happened, we can't control. But the story we tell ourselves about what happened, we have some measure of control over that. And the people who are able to assert that control are going to live their lives in a much more harmonious way than the people who keep trying to change or assert control over things they can't. And we need other people to share our stories with. And that moment and that privilege of being able to hear other people's story and sort of bear witness to their pain. That's really the magic of it all, and that's the blessing of it all. And I think that our natural inclination is to avoid doing that and to run away from doing that and to self-medicate from doing that because of the pain. But if we can summon the courage to face the pain, that's where the healing happens. And it's not easy. It's not easy. You know, anyone listening to your story, most of us think that is a grief and that is a trauma incomparable. And as you said, you got the phone call that all of us fear as parents. And so we all have events in our lives and traumatic events in our lives and certainly grief. Could we sometimes feel our grief is minor compared to hers or is our grief as important to us? as yours? No question. There's nothing gained from comparing losses and who lost more and what loss was deeper, more profound. But I also think for those of us who have been through what we call a big T trauma, it's important for other people to understand that 
it's not just one loss and it doesn't happen just one time. So for me, my daughter's death, it wasn't one time. It isn't over. It's happened for me thousands of times in nightmares and re-experiencing and panic attacks. And it's there all the time. But we just figure out and work really hard and feel the feelings. There's no shortcuts. It's so true. You can't get around those. You know, you can try. And a lot of people do uh, try really hard. And they use substances, which work short term, and they use distractions, and they have rage, and they have all kinds of unhealthy ways. And that's what happens when the trauma isn't processed. But the only way to get through it and function well is to take it on and do it with somebody who has the skills and the knowledge and the experience to help you reprocess and reprocess. And again, you know, it's been 29 years and it's right there. You can hear it in my voice. I think that everybody has to reckon with this. (laughs) I think that if we're not suffering from post-traumatic stress, we're suffering from pre-traumatic stress. And I think anyone who's lived and lives a full and open-hearted life that no one's immune. And whether it's what we call small T traumas, humiliations, devastations, disappointments, losses, or big T traumas like the one I described, it's not helpful to compare and it's not productive because we really don't know what's going on inside of someone else. So I think that the greatest thing that we can do is, again, to give people the benefit of the doubt and know that just being human, that there's a trauma of being human and that we all have times in our lives where we feel overwhelmed and need some help. And that's okay. It's more than okay. It's actually the sort of magic and secret that we can live more aware and more connected and meaningful lives. So when I look back on my life and I look and see the person that I was before this happened to me and the way my life went and the person I am now, I feel like in many ways I kind of woke up when that happened because I became acutely sensitive and tuned in to how common trauma is in everyone's life and how it really presents all of us with an incredible opportunity to have bigger and stronger and more meaningful connections with each other. And anyone can do that. Yeah, I think about this story of trauma and grief. And I think about the fact that we all interact with so many people. And today, you were brave enough to share this story in a very public way. But of course, most of us carry around our stories and we interact with each other. And it kind of reminds us that everybody has some trauma, everybody has some challenge. And we have to remember that, I think, when we interact with each other. 
Yeah. So that was it. Once I was at my lowest point, once I got that kind of help and direction and saw the connection between my recovery and other people's recovery. And I think this is one of the true gifts of AA and a lot of the recovery programs is understanding that you really were built to have relationships. We heal in relationships. We die in relationships too. You know, we suffer in relationships, but it's really hard to heal by yourself. You really need that. And once I could see some light and see some direction, then I had a path. The other side of trauma, I mean, trauma creates a space where there are tremendous opportunities. There are definitely gifts and blessings that come with traumatic experiences. There's a view that's crystal clear for people who are traumatized. All of a sudden, the little things fall by the wayside and it becomes very clear to you what is important to you and who are the people who are important to you. And you can make decisions and you can make changes in those moments that maybe when you were living your sort of foggy day-to-day life that you couldn't really see clearly. But there are tremendous opportunities and there's opportunities to get closer to people when they're having their difficult times because there's an opening there. You know, one of the things, Karen and I have witnessed this in your lives that we have always admired is that at least from the outside looking in, it seemed that you and Brad, in many ways, you know, you kept it together and perhaps became even stronger. But I have to imagine in a relationship, whether it's a marriage or a parent and child or family or even close friends, when they face grief like this, we all grieve differently. And that probably presents a challenge as well, doesn't it? It really does, especially in the case of an infant. Because as I mentioned before, I think there's things that are unique about the mother-infant relationship. It's the judgment on the different ways that people grieve. And I think that Brad and I were fortunate to have a strong uh, bond and relationship. And we were able to have those difficult conversations early on. It's also interesting in relationships how you kind of take turns falling apart. And so I think in the initial time, right after uh, my daughter Sarah passed away, Brad just felt like he had to be the strong one. And so he resumed his schedule fairly quickly, which was sort of impossible for me to comprehend. But soon after, when I finally started to feel a little better and a little stronger, we both acknowledge that he started to have some difficulties. So I think we just have to be really kind to each other when it comes to these kind of things. So Brad was just all hands on deck for me. And I think life beats us up a lot. And we keep having opportunities to show our love and support for one another. And I think, especially in a marriage, we have to be compassionate and we have to give each other some time and allow for different ways to show our love and support for each other. Holly, as you know, your work 
And our friendship is what inspired me and Karen to get involved in mental health. As you know, um, I'm not a medical professional or a therapist like you or most of the folks we're going to have on this series. I run a marketing agency called The Shipyard. My whole life or business life is helping businesses persuade people and touch people and move people and communicate. When we began to learn from you about how people will not engage on this subject, it is stigmatized. We thought this was actually a place where we could help because communication matters in this field. Words matter. Words can unite or words can divide. Words can demoralize or words can lift us up. And that's when we began to think about ways that we could help in this field. People have a tough time talking about this subject, don't they? Mental health. And it's somewhat stigmatized, isn't it? It really is. But I look back from the time that I've been here and I'm really encouraged I really sense a growing awareness. I think if I can be so bold to say one of the blessings of the COVID-19 virus is that mental health has certainly made some real progress through this because while some people's physical health has been impacted, everyone's mental health has been impacted. So one of the key feelings of being traumatized pre-COVID was the loneliness and isolation because the person who's depressed or anxious, what adds to their suffering is the fact that they are in so much pain, but from their perspective, it looks like there's a big party going on out there and that they're not part of it and they're not going to be part of it. So these are really interesting times, even though we're physically isolated, we're, we're all going through this together. So that one big contributor to the isolation and the aloneness while we're physically separated, there is a sense that we're all in this together. And hopefully we're figuring out innovative ways in these times to show support for each other. I mean, there's a time frame like this epidemic. We just all want it to end. And then there's this scary realization that no matter what happens, that things have changed and that we're not going to go back and that our time is going to be defined by that event. There's going to be before and after. But it doesn't mean that amazing things won't happen after. It just means, you know, it's going to be different. It actually could mean there's a likelihood amazing things will happen after. Yes. And I think that um, that's really the essence of resilience, which is when you can take just the very worst possible thing that you can imagine or that you never would have imagined and then use that particular thing to drive you to do things that you never, ever could have imagined doing. And it's not for one second that I would give up anything to have my daughter back, but it's just really about what are you going to do now that that happened? What are you going to do with that story, with your story? One option is to just turn out the lights. I mean, you've been to the edge of the cliff and looked down the abyss, and there are people who just say it's too much. 
But another choice is to try to go through and face it and do the hard work and take what happened to you and use that as your armor, as your toolkit, as your training, as your experience to be able to talk to somebody else who's also, you know, looking out into the abyss. And that experience has allowed me into rooms and into conversations that I never would have had a privilege to participate in. But those were my credentials. And the fact that I survived and was still standing after that earned me the privilege to hear other people's stories and gave me the strength to sit with them and listen to them and honor them and the story that they shared. Holly Caston, you're amazing. You're a force of nature. And I think because of you, there will be more and more people like you. And I think we'll not just be affecting a community, we'll be starting to look at this as a world community, fighting these challenges, helping people navigate their trauma, their stress, their adversity, and help them have those reserves of resilience to get them through. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Rick. You know this wouldn't happen without you, so we're so grateful. Appreciate it. Holly is the Director of Education and Community Outreach for Ohio State's Harding Hospital and Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Health. To learn more about the exciting work underway at the STAR program and at the Department of Psychiatry, call 614-293-STAR or 614-293-7827. If you're in need of urgent mental health services, please contact NetCare Access at 614-276-2273 or go to your nearest emergency room.